Hi everyone, this is David. Before we begin episode 159 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, uh, a lot has happened in the week since this was recorded. So Ben and my tones during the podcast may be a little more jolly than if we were recording today on May 31st. We both have a lot of connection to Minneapolis where George Floyd was killed by a police officer kneeling on his neck. Our hearts go out to Minneapolis and please stay safe and take care of one another. Thanks. Welcome everybody to episode 159 of the (laughs) Metabilis 2 podcast featuring David and Ben and uh, it's been a while. (laughs) Just a a short while, I've been doing more quizzing. Yeah, you've had two quizzes of Rassilon in between our recording breaks. Yeah, yeah. Does uh, Merseyside Who continue their reign of terror? No, Merseyside Who have been knocked off the top spot. Oh, well. Which is good news for everybody. Unfortunately, we we failed to place in the top 10 Mm. in the last round, Mm -hmm. um, I think, due to various, various errors. But next quiz is on the 7th of June, so um, high hopes. Yes. We'll be able to storm storm back into the top 10. Is the quiz still getting like 200, 250 people, or is it just yeah, it's gone like, insane with thousands, legions? No, no, no. It's, it's still quite modest, actually. I'm surprised because it's super fun, mm-hmm. and you get access, you know, I mean, it's mainly super fans. Right. Um, you know, people like Chapman right. and, you know, uh, Mark Ayres right. and Gav Rymill's there every week. And mm-hmm. he's kind of a star now. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Oh, uh, here's, here's one piece of trivia that people might enjoy. Apparently, Nicola Bryant, Perry, yes. is um is planning, I think next week, is doing something called quantum hypnosis. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Which means she hypnotizes you down, down through Twitter Ooh. to make yourself feel more calm. In the current times that we're living in. I think I'm all for that. <laughs> I was a bit concerned that she'd be like, you know, I don't know, like she is the she is the Perry, um, you must obey her kind of thing. You know what she's going to have you do is buy all the remainder Trial of the Time Lord box sets that are out exactly. there in DVD. So we're all going to stand up from our laptops and then march as one across the country <laughs> downloading Perry audios from Big Finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She hasn't done a lot of Big Finish audios. I was surprised by how few her and Colin Baker had done together. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's true. Um, she's done enough. I right. mean, you know, maybe, maybe she's just as pissed off with the accent as everyone else is. And, <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't she modify would... her accent a little bit for audio drama? It's slightly better, but it's still certainly to my finely toned ears. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very convincing American voice. Well, you are now an expert on American accents. Having, I am now an expert. Having American. suffered through us, what, for almost 20 years now, Almost right? 20 years of suffering, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that was another piece of trivia from the quiz. So, yeah, watch, watch out for that, um, yeah. fans, um, Perry Excellent. fans. You can be hypnotized by none other than Nicola Bryant. Excellent. Yeah. In other news, minifigures. Yes, B&M. Yes. Are, are kind of finally decided to, well, no, it's, you know, it's whoever it's character. Well, hot, hot off the heels of their Harry Sullivan Santarin box set. Yeah, good God. So, yeah. Have you gotten a hold of that yet? Um, No, because it's expensive. It's like 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. 
and then 20 pounds to ship it so like 60 bucks mm. so and i can't really send my family into the b&m in swindon mm-hmm. to get me doctor who figs when you know they're sheltering in place because right. of a pandemic right um so yeah i don't know i'll probably if i do decide i don't really like the design of the boxes to be mm-hmm. honest um, so I'm sitting back and waiting until the prices drop to an affordable level. Do you need a box for, for collecting or do you mine loose figures? Because you might be able to pick up a loose Harry on a well, loose Harry. Loose, <laughs> no, I mean, the, I mean the, the, loose hair, the loose Harrys are, are also like 20, yeah. 20 bucks, uh-huh. 30 bucks or so. So um, again, hoping, hoping that those will drop. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want two distorted Sontarans. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Well, the exciting news is we have a classic Sarah Jane Smith coming. I know. Um, she is based, because um, where we are with character options is that um, they can't really afford to make any kind of new figure molds. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the heads are probably more, more affordable. You get new head sculpts, I think. Yeah, new head sculpts. So the um, the classic Sarah Jane, who's in her kind of um, freedom fighter outfit from uh, Genesis of the Daleks, she's actually based on the... The Martha figure oh, yeah. Um, yeah. that they released as part of the whole, you know, Saxon Master mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that that that's what the body is, and then it's just re- repainted with camouflage trousers. I see. Yeah, and they put a Sarah Jane head on top. I mean, I guess the Lala Ward is looks like a new sculpt to me. Mm-hmm. I think word on the street the Mary Tam is based on one of their primeval figures that they did for the primeval show. Mm-hmm. Um, at least. The body is. Well, the Mary Tam sculpt of the face does not look much like Mary Tam. No, uh, I mean, I think, I think you have to, be, you have to watch out for sculpts. I mean, it, the really, the, it's, it's, it's the painting, so it's, mm-hmm. you really have to kind of see them. Um, and then I think the, the, the Brigadier is a lovely one, and mm-hmm. then the Benton and the Mike Yates look very, look very accurate. Yes. Um, apart from the weapons, I was, they, they haven't, it's not an accurate, it's not a screen accurate gun that they provided them with, but, you know. That might be able to swap in, though. Well, they're probably using a, an again a sculpt from from another toy line, so the 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 weapon is like a two thousand mm-hmm. style rifle when it should mm-hmm. of course should be a nineteen seventy style rifle. Mm-hmm. No Graham figure yet. I think you get a Ryan and a Yaz, but I didn't see. Oh a no, Graham. there is a Graham. Oh, there, there is, is a Graham, Graham figure. Okay, oh, there's a Graham, but it's again the don't like the body. The body looks like it's just been stolen from somebody else. I'm not entirely sure who. <laughs> the body snatchers. Yeah, and he's not wearing his hat. And mm. if, he's, if it's not Graham in his Witchfinder hat, I'm mm. not. I'm not that interested. You're gonna have to do a little sculpt mold to make your own Witchfinder's hat. Plop it right on top of Graham's head. Absolutely, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. Get some of your artistic colleagues, friends to <laughs> <laughs> commission a special commission. Make me up a Graham hat. Yeah. So I mean, potentially. <laughs> see, I mean, you, there, there was a Genesis of the Daleks set released way way back mm-hmm. um so we've got a genesis davros two genesis daleks the the genesis tom baker in the kind of duffel coat mm-hmm. we've now got a harry we've now got a sarah mm-hmm. so you know they just need to whip out a nida and yeah. then we're quids in basically well if they come out with a tom baker liz sladen and ian martyr minifigure set a three a three set i might spring for that but uh, picking them up piecemeal i'm it's like yeah. you said that's like 
probably going to be over a hundred dollars right there for well i mean i think you know this is now maybe we're segueing into into the ostensive topic of this particular podcast mm. but i mean i think you know i would love because they already they have a giant robot already mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so they have a giant robot they've got a brigadier they've got a benton you know rsm benton uh, they have a they have a t- they have the right era Tom. Yes, they've got the right era Harry. Yeah, though I guess they'd have to put him in maybe in a naval uniform rather than you know in the duffel coat, mm-hmm. the duffel coated Harry. But that shouldn't be too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just got to find the right um, the right outfit for Sarah. And now the challenge there is is I think she's wearing a kind of standard journalism outfit yeah. during robot um so she's wearing uh fashion from bus stop which was a designer in the 1970s i believe yeah. so it's it, so, very again, stylish I mean, I mean they could look at someone maybe some of the joe figure sculpts um mm-hmm. or maybe adapt the lala ward a little bit and, yeah. and and try and get her try and get her looking right i mean a lot of it again is down to the paintwork as long as you can put someone in a kind of you know sort of generic lady outfit mm-hmm. and then as long as you paint it right it's going to look right Although they might need a new head sculpt because uh, Liz Sladen's hair was a bit shorter. It was her series 11, season 11 hair, rather than yeah. the longer season 12 hair in Robot. Yeah. So, yeah. I, again, I don't know how easy it is to adapt the hair, but mm, that might be possible. Yeah. Though, know. again, alterna- alternatively, you know, we've got... So I'm now just thinking of that combination. <laughs> we got the, they, they did a Sontaran experiment set. Yeah. And now they've got a, you know, the right era Sarah. They could do a Revenge right. of the Cybermen set. You could do Revenge of the Cybermen. Basically, you've got that, you sort of, you've got yeah. Zygons. Yeah. You've pretty much got a lot of that mm-hmm. season. What we need, we need a rotoscoped, whatever it is, rotor-molded um, Wirren. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. then we, Pretty much we, it, we've yeah. Sort of, sort of got what we need. We need a Kettlewell for, if we're going to do a robot box set, yeah. Kettlewell would be the add-on. You re-release K1, the giant robot, and, and, and then right. you add Kettlewell to it. Because that, yeah. that yeah. K1 robot, is a, since it was assembled from all the different uh, first wave of that uh, classic series, it's it's rare. It's a hard figure to get a hold of. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's not an easy easy figure to get a hold of at all. I'd I'd I'd, I'd go for a NIDA. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I'd go for a NIDA before I went for a Kettlewell. Um, oh and I'd no! Do a full Genesis of the Dalek set. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a NIDA shouldn't be too hard because there must be you know they must have yeah. a, a Nazi at the same mm-hmm. scale um, in terms of the clothes and just you know stick a NIDA head on top of that and and Bob's your then uncle. you could start working on your Silurian box set. You could have uh, Peter Miles oh, in yeah, there. Yeah. Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Oh yeah, box yeah. Set, just <laughs> Get like a bunch a, of rubber I mean, dinosaurs. <laughs> They've got dino. They've got dinosaurs from mm-hmm. Primeval and Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. They could throw in there. Yeah, you got the Sarah. You got the Pertwee. You got the Brig. You got the Unit Squatties. Ooh, I'm liking this. Yeah, just, I'm liking this. Yeah, and I think I mean you could you could you could probably mock up a mock up a, a Hoomobile pretty quickly. Mm, you know that would sell. I'd I'd buy, I'd buy that for a dollar. You could, it'd be like the old Star Wars land speeder where you'd slide the characters in with their straight legs. Nice. And, Nice. Yeah. yeah, and then 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 you're set up for the Planet of the Spiders box set too. Oh wow, we're just we're just <laughs> we're just doing it now. We should, we should be hired by Character Options. Yes, 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 yes. There we go. There you go. Yeah, we can certainly think of the ideas of things to buy. <laughs> we can certainly give them ideas of the things that we want because they don't know. No, got no idea what people want. Well, it's taken them what uh, forty years to come out with a Sarah Jane action figure. Yeah, I mean that is a set I might I might actually have to buy. Um, though mm-hmm. I mean as I don't know how. I mean there's talk of them being released in the states, but I've not seen 
Um, usually stuff goes to Huna, um, uh, Who North America, but apparently Who North America, I'm, I was on their on their um, chat mm-hmm. room and they've haven't um, they haven't been approached mm-hmm. as distributors. But there's apparently there's gonna be some kind of American mm-hmm. d- distributor for this new set, My, which makes yeah. sense. My thought is it's only going to be a uh, series 12 figures with Yaz, Ryan, and the Jadoon. I thought that was the only one that was going to go to North America, but no basis of fact on that. That was just my interpretation. Yeah. But then again, I mean, you know, I mean, if they're, they're concentrating on kind of classic companions, you know, a, a, a sort of the original Lala, Lala mm-hmm. Ward, the original Romana and um, uh, Sarah from that era, you know, that's possibly would appeal to kind of fans of the classic era in the United States. You would think. So we will see. Mm-hmm. We will see. Yep. As I said, I can't really send my family into B&M nope. risking catching a COVID. Nope. Um, nope. There are higher priorities. Just going to have to be patient, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually these things turn up. They are not, uh, they're not so limited that they're unacquirable at later dates. No, no, no. Unless no, it's K1 robot. Yes. <laughs> then you're paying through the nose. Uh, yeah, I I I have a K one from yeah, the original original release. I'm very very happy with my K one. It's a very sturdy model, actually. Um, for something that's so complicated, it's uh, worth picking up if you ever have the chance. High quality. Yes. So that's good lead in for Tom Baker, since we have him as the topic of du jour of the podcast. We do. Uh, the great man himself, I guess. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're going to sort of go season by season. Well, I thought first we just talk about who is Tom Baker and... Who is Tom Baker? And just generally, he was the doctor I grew up with, but I really know very little of him before or after. And you being in Britain during that formative time, did you know much of Tom Baker before he became the doctor at all? Um, not at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, you know, he became the doctor in which year? Seventy four. Seventy four. So I was, I was just um, eight years old. Right. So I wasn't particularly. And again, you know, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. Finding out about things, there was no way to find out about things. I um, do remember being taken to see. I like the Sinbad movies. Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Yeah, my parents knew that I liked mm-hmm. kind of fantasy stuff, so they took me to see... My grandmother took me to see um, uh, The Land That Time Forgot, which I very much enjoyed, right. um, which has Anthony Ainley in it, mm-hmm. of course, as a, as a villain. Um, and then I think a follow-up trip to the movies was to go and see The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which is a top Sinbad movie. Um, <laughs> the next one, which I think is Sinbad, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, that's got Patrick Troughton in it. Mm-hmm. But the Golden Voyage of Sinbad has um, Tom Baker as the evil wizard. Prince um, Kura. What's that? Prince Kurura or something like that, right? Uh, yeah. What is he called? I just watched it. I just watched it the other night. He's, I don't think he's a prince, though. No. Wait a second. Um, let me just look up Sinbad. Um, Golden Voyage. Um, it's it's and it's actually I watched it the other night and it's it's really really good. Um, uh, I know you're not a big Sinbad mm-hmm. fan. But it's got Tom Baker in it, and the great thing about it is he's totally just Tom Baker. It really doesn't. He's got. He tries to put on a. Um, uh, uh, he's called Prince Kura. You're you're entirely correct. Okay. Um, he's um, he tries to put on a kind of you know um, what's the word? 
kind of Araby accent, mm-hmm. and it really doesn't work because it's just just Tom Baker doing a voice. <laughs> uh, he he is kind of blacked up a little bit, so yeah. that's a shame. But it was 1972, whatever it was, mm-hmm. so we so we kind of forgive them. But yeah, it's amazing. It's got some amazing stop motion animation. Uh, there's an amazing kind of fight with Carly, who's got like who's a you know this kind of six armed. Um, uh, kind of Indian statue that comes to life. Right. Um, it's got the amazing and super shiny um, Caroline uh, Caroline uh, Caroline Monroe in it from the Hammer movies. Um, and she she is I don't know how many tons of oil they poured on her, but she basically shines through the entire film, which is <laughs> a nice effect. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, uh, it's got swampies. Swamp, there's swampies in it. Um, there's people painted. There's people painted green. Um, so that's good. And as a as a as a call forward to the new series, um, Caroline Monroe has got eyes painted on her hands. Yeah. Um, so the fires of Pompeii. Fires the, the, the fires of Pompeii, indeed. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's got something for everybody. Excellent. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. Um, I'm I. Have become because I live in Seattle and I have access to um, Scarecrow Video, which is this amazing video rental place mm-hmm. which has ten thousand or so movies. Nice. Rent. I've been uh, plowing through various back catalogs of films that I'm interested in, and um, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast. But also, the can- so one of those has been the Canterbury Tales. So um, here, <laughs> Pasolini's The Canterbury Tales. Um, where of course that also has Tom Baker in it with a kind of porn moustache, mm-hmm. very much like the Colin Baker, yeah, famous Colin uh-huh. Baker porn moustache. Must be a Baker uh, thing. Or it must be a Baker thing, and of course he's he has a complete nude scene in it, so yeah. you get to see Tom Baker with no clothes on, including uh, the little Baker himself <laughs> um, is present. Uh, so <laughs> that's something recently that I've seen of kind of pre Doctor Who Tom Baker. Um, I think it was the Golden Voyage that got him the gig, wasn't it? That's what Barry Letts saw with, I think, Terrence Dix. They went and saw The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. It was appearing in the theaters in 73, and I think it was uh, once his name was floated, they went down the street and watched The Golden Voyage and said, that's their man. Let's go interview him. Let's give him a screen test or whatever. Yeah, and it is in- audition. Yeah, and as I said, it is, it is interesting watching it because like, they must have heard the Araby accent and then the Tom accent. After that, of course, when you watch it mm-hmm. nowadays, you hear the Tom accent first, ooh, the kind of can't right. his voice, and then you hear the Arabic, the Arabic accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. Recommend it. Did you watch him in Rasputin and Nicholas and Alexandra at all? No, ever? No, I've not seen okay. that. I've not I have seen not that. seen that either. No. Mm-hmm. No. Because he was saying that that was a huge thing for him because he was being flown around back to and from location and basically had a. Uh, open tab at the hotel bar and after that he really crashed because he thought he was you know on the verge of stardom right film stardom right. and after and after that it kind of petered out and you know really uh the next one was 73 with uh, golden voyage of sinbad but that wasn't quite as uh the level of cinema as <laughs> nicholas and alexandra was i guess put it put it to be fair quite possibly not and also, I mean, working with Pasolini, who, you know, mm-hmm. was, uh, I think he's incredibly important, Canterbury Tales, but I mean, that was 72. I mean, that was, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, um, Pier Pasolini, he's you know, one of the greats of Italian cinema. Um, right. 
And um, but I mean, Pasolini again. He was an interesting director. Um, if you watch the Country Tales, and it's a really good movie and actually well worth watching. Um, Robin Asquith is one of the stars as well. And Robin Asquith again at the time was the was the protagonist in in all of the Confessions of movies. So like kind of British soft porn. Mm-hmm. So Pasolini had a kind of a, I think had a really good eye really good eye for casting. Um, right. And uh, there's other Who alumni, um, future Who Who stars and past Who stars, in in Canterbury Tales. So that that's worth watching. Um, uh, Nicholas Alexander, um, the director there, is not as um, uh, illustrious as um, as um, as Pasolini. Franklin J. Schaffner. What else did he make? I'm just looking up on them. Oh, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> there you go. He made Planet of the Apes at. Um, Boys from Brazil. Uh, boys, boys from Brazil's Patton. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> went downhill. Um, Patton's good. Planet of the Apes is good. Um, Papillon's okay. Boys from Brazil's awful. Have you seen the Boys from Brazil? A uh, long time ago, probably no. That's the Nazi movie, right? Yeah, playing yeah, chewing, chewing, yep. chewing, chewing yep. the carpet from Laurence yep. Olivier and Gregory Peck. So yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I think he was like, wow, you know, I've, I've been part of a big budget bio movie. Um, well, and, Olivier was in uh, Nicholas and Alexandra, so exactly, I mean, exactly, yeah, and I've, Michael Jason. I mean, it was a big film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, then I've also been in a movie with one of you know Europeans, Europe's most important art house directors. Wow, this is me. I'm, I've got started, and then right, nothing happened. Yeah. I mean, I think probably like a lot of actors, um, he probably suffers from kind of you know elements of low self esteem. Mm-hmm. Certainly at that point, and um, you know, not really liking himself and not being very confident, and I think that can happen basically. Yeah, well, he got divorced in '66 after five years of marriage and uh, two sons. He was kind of forced out. I mean, I don't know all the all the specific details, but I believe he was kind of forced out by his father-in-law. Right. Uh, they were in the rose business in. Ooh, I don't know precisely where. He's a liver puddling. Maybe it was yeah, Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where their rose business was, but he was basically told to leave. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't set out to be a gardener or a rose cultivator. And he lost touch with his, uh, his, his family, his, his, at least his two boys, until he bumped into Piers Baker in New Zealand when at like late 90s 99 time frame so interesting he was a bit depressed I would think he was uh, not where where he wanted to be and like you said after he had some breaks with uh, international films and big directors and big productions he was uh, not getting the work that I think that he thought he deserved. And he was doing the millionaires, which was, uh, I think directed by Bill Slater, who became head of uh, drama or production at, at the BBC. And he's the one who that was in 72. And when Letts was casting around for who should be the fourth doctor, uh, Slater suggested Tom Baker because he he was playing uh, a fezzed Egyptian doctor in the Millionaires, and he thought that Baker might be good. So that's how, like you said, they went and saw the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. But I'm not sure that Baker. I mean, he was working on a job site at at the time. So yeah, he, yeah, he was a builder, he was working as a jobbing builder. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he as he said, he wasn't even he wasn't really even doing building. He was their coffee boy. He was just. Uh, 
getting cigarettes and carrying bricks tea, around stuff like that. Tea for people. Yeah, he was low low on the totem pole. So he wasn't uh wasn't really uh I wouldn't say he as an actor he's kind of uh hard on his luck, but I think a lot of actors are feast or famine. Yeah, it's it's I mean this is this is I think is interesting when you read a lot about kind of actors. We should have we should have um Haddock on this. Um about kind of you know people um you know, you had to mix TV acting with stage acting. Mm-hmm. Um, you really went from job to job, and you had to be careful when you're on when you were doing stuff on on, on TV because uh, you didn't want to get typecast as a particular kind of person. I think you know, good, always a good example for me is um, you know how they um, uh, in Mordred Undead. You know, that was going to be William Russell, but William Russell was busy doing another job, doing busy doing another acting job, so they had right. to get. Nicholas Courtney in and therefore destroying unit dating etc etc <laughs> um, and also any kind of sense of, of exactly what that character was supposed to be doing right. um, but and it's sort of nowadays it's um it's very different mm-hmm. I think uh, and there is a I think a smaller pool of actors um, so you do tend to see the same people over and over again but it's you know when you reach that kind of pool level um, your career is a lot more solid than it used right. to be uh, and I think you know, we look back at someone like Tom Baker and, you know, because he's, you know, a national treasure and someone who, who, who we love, we're kind of amazed that, you know, he wasn't a big film star in the early 1970s. Of course, right. he wasn't. Right. Because he was just some guy, you know. He's just a jobbing actor. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I, I think I was watching, um, well, I was watching The Three Doctors recently and again, reading up about it and, you know, they were going to have... Um, Jamie McCrimmon was going to be in it, but right. um, Fraser Hines was too busy being in Emmerdale Farm, you know, and it's right. like, the, why, why, why didn't they get him back to do Jamie? Well, they couldn't because he was in Emmerdale, right. you know, and you, with these people who we imagine are kind of, you know, these amazing, important figures are not that important at all. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Well, I think the pool, at least contemporarily, looking at uh, agents and reps uh, websites, I think there's a large pool of actors still, but I think the pool of whom... Or of who uh, directors and casting directors will take from is smaller. I think this, the cost of production is significantly higher that the risks of taking someone unknown are probably True. greater. True. And so we see more familiar faces, which is, which is great if you make it like Karen Gillum or, right. you know, David Tennant was up and coming at the time he became Doctor Who you get more and more work just because of that. I doubt that Tennant would have been cast as Crowley in Good Omens without his work on, on Doctor, uh, Who. Doctor Who. No, exactly not. Exactly not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as you've been talking, I was just idly scrolling through the internet. Um, for, for, <laughs> for, for, um, for people who do want to watch the Canterbury Tales, and I said I do advise it, uh, you will be also pleased to see that Derek Deadman is in it. I knew there was someone from Doctor Who. Derek Deadman, the cockney accented Sontaran from The Invasion of Time, and also Vernon Dokchev. So one of the one of the evil warlords is in mm-hmm. it too. Mm-hmm. So good. Yes. So it's worth checking out. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yes. For the full Baker. For the full Baker. Yes. <laughs> yes, the chief scientist from the from from the war games. Um. Yeah. So I think it's you know. I think it is. It is interesting. Um, uh, uh, I, I think you know some fans may kind of express surprise that Tom Baker was working on a building site. Um, I don't actually find it that surprising. Mm-hmm. Well, like Nick Courtney was working in Tradition of London, which is a 
model soldier shop, a toy soldier shop, all the while he was playing the brigadier. So these these actors, you had day jobs. You had jobs where you were trying to pull down, uh, make rent and pay for groceries. So it's not that unsurprising that you find work where you can. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, just reading... Um... Uh, when I was at Gallifrey earlier this year, I mm-hmm. got a picked up a copy of um, Peter Davison's autobiography, signed by Peter. He was ah, a very, very charming nice. man. Um, so I've been idly reading through that, and again, you know, there's there's someone who you know, worked incredibly hard, and you know, was in you know three or four sitcoms at the same time as he was being, as he was being Doctor Who, right? Because you had to do that. Mm-hmm. You had to do that. You know, it was it was a perilous, a perilous profession. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like uh, what Moffat said, you don't want to turn down work. And he had turned down uh, Spielberg's Tintin work to go be showrunner for Doctor Who. But then when the BBC wanted to uh, go and run with Sherlock, he really didn't want to turn that down and say, can we do that in three years when I'm done with Doctor Who? He always wants to try to take on interesting work or take on a series when you can, because who knows, you might hit a dry patch or a it, you know, it's famine. You have to you have to feast your famine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was reading. I also picked up um, Michael E. Bryant's autobiography the other day, so I've been reading that too, and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a director who, you know, ostensibly directed some of the very greatest Doctor Who's ever, and some. And actually, having again chatted with him at Gallifrey, you know, someone who still is modest about those achievements. Um, and, you know, he, he had to move to Brussels and, you know, was a, the director of a kind of a soap opera in Belgium for years, you know. And it's like, and you, again, as a fan, you kind of fondly imagine that these people are like Steven Spielberg or whatever, you know, and are kind of, you know, in demand to weave their directorial magic. But no, everyone from Doctor Who really, certainly in the classic era, were kind of just jobbing actors, jobbing directors. Mm-hmm. They were just trying to make it as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible. Also, as best as possible, but that was probably, you know, according to the BBC, that was the least important part of what they were doing. Yeah, because um, Brian had a pretty distinguished career as a director because he was doing uh, Secret Army, he did Blake Seven, he I think he also did some production work. But again, like you said, he had to move to Holland in order to find work. Find yeah. work. It's funny what he says about Blake Seven. I can't remember. It was. Blake Seven was kind of a relatively hastily produced replacement for a, I think, a crime show um, that didn't work out, and but it had to be made on the same budget. And he kind of, uh, you know, the, the aside that he makes is you know, BBC didn't really realize that it, you know, that if you compare like making a cop, cops and robber show set in contemporary Britain versus <laughs> a show set in outer space in the in the space year one million or whatever it is it's kind of different budgetary wise so which accounts some of the mo- more hilarious effect shots on blake seven I, mm-hmm. again we'll have to recommend our listeners to go and watch blake seven some of the spaceship yeah. shots are literally just photographs of spaceships that they move around <laughs> money python it kind of is actually <laughs> it's like it's a photograph of, of a spaceship and we just zoom in on it so it looks like it's mm-hmm. coming towards us it's absolutely fantastic excellent, yeah. excellent. I, I need to yeah. sit down and do a Blake Seven rewatch. I'm sort of waiting for when they actually re-release properly restored episodes, um, which they don't appear to have done yet. So I don't think they're going to yeah, do that. But anyway, not quite as big of a fandom. <sighs> it's a shame. It's a low yeah. down, dirty shame. Mm-hmm. Although of restoration, I guess it's significantly much larger fandom. The the Blu-ray restoration of the Monty Python. 
Flying Circus television program. It's supposed to be fabulous. And you got to be you got to be pick, picking that up. You're a big pilot. Oh, fan. It's over. Yeah, it's over a hundred dollars. Yeah, so. Well, a hundred dollars well spent. It is, but uh, in these tumultuous times, got to be selective. That is true. That is true. So yes. I don't know. I did going off on a tangent here. I did pre-order the Power of the Daleks special edition with the revamped animation. So I'm hoping that will be an improvement over the original. So we'll see. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I was umming and erring about that, but I probably will buy it again. I mean, in some ways at this point in the history of the 21st century, I feel that one should be spending money on the things that one likes. Yes. Um, because if we don't give it money, then it may very well go away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, I think, you know, during this particular time of pandemic, we don't support our producers and our producers are going to go bust. Mm-hmm. So with Tom, pretty much an obscure jobbing actor, not a leading man, a stereotype, certainly not was not playing that in the movies, certainly not playing that on television was plucked from relative obscurity, plucked from the work site by producer Barry Letts to play the successor to the much more uh, leading man, uh, John Pertwee. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, again, I think it's an interesting transition because John, you know, as I think we've said in previous podcasts, you know, he was a very much a known, a known figure. Um, very mm-hmm. well known on radio, very well known in kind of you know light light entertainment theatre. Yep. Been in plenty mm-hmm. of movies. Uh, was a, was you know a successful comedian and actor, a household name. Um, whereas Tom Baker wasn't right in any way. And this is predates organized fandom, so we don't really have a re- record of the reaction of uh, of that. But there must have been some. Uh, scratching of the head <laughs> about who who is Tom Baker? Who is Tom Baker? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, let's you know, ostensibly one of the things about this podcast is kind of earliest memories. I mean, I remember very distinctly the change in Planet of the Spiders, and I can remember being kind of shocked by mm. how dark um, I, the the faces to me seem to be the same. Right. Uh, obviously, they weren't, um, but certainly right. my memory at the time. And of course, you know these things were very seldom repeated, so I had no way to check. Um, but um, I can remember the faces being the same, and I remember what I found interesting at the time was like, "Wow, his hair's changed color. What the hell?" Um, right. I knew a little bit about regeneration because my parents had pointed out to me that um, during um, uh, the Three Doctors that that. Patrick Troughton used to be a doctor, and basically I didn't believe them. Um, <laughs> just like, well, yeah, I guess. Sure, mom and dad. Sure, yeah, this is my show. Like, leave, leave me alone. Um, which is actually kind of interesting because um, it implies my parents must have watched Patrick Troughton. I haven't ever, uh, never really asked them about it because I'm sure they wouldn't remember. But anyway, mm-hmm. they, they must have seen some of those lost episodes. Yeah. And um, but when the new season started with Tom. Mm-hmm. We took to him very, very quickly. There was not a lot of kid reaction against him. Um, Mm -hmm. Robot was amazing. I remember being incredibly impressed by that. It had all the things that I liked. I loved Unit. I loved the guns and the shooting and the jumping around. Um, Mm -hmm. I I thought the robot was amazing. I loved Sarah Jane. And it worked really well. And then we went straight straight off into space with with Ark in space. That was, again, amazing. 
Um, so you know, he had he was he's lucky because he came out of the gate with some incredibly strong stories. And I think again, and I think we've probably discussed this on the podcast before. But both you and I were kind of lucky enough to be kind of you know our prime. Well, certainly my prime poo-consuming years coincided with when it was having the most money spent on it and right. it being produced at a really pretty high level. Um, and also, you know, the regeneration in robot, they don't do that whole, which is what was wrong to me. And again, I was a teenager, so maybe I'm, I'm more critical of the regeneration between Tom Baker and Peter Davison is they spent a whole, you know, the um, Legopolis is all about Tom Baker going away. Right. Um, and then Castrovalva is all about, you know, Peter Davison starting. What's great about Robot is they he's he's regenerated and now there's something mm -hmm. else he needs to get on with. There's yeah. no kind of like, ooh, there's a watcher and like, ooh, he's all he's gotta to go to the zero room, blah blah blah. All right. that kind of fan nonsense about like regeneration. No, it's like you've just changed the actor. Um mm -hmm. the show is the same, the you know, the challenges are the same. Uh they just need to get the hell on with it. That's mm -hmm. how you regenerate. There's not a whole uh, regeneration angst that no. we saw, especially like with uh, Eccleston the Tenant. Yeah. Or e even with uh, Troughton to Pertwee, where we, the doctor's pretty much immobilized in hospital bed for a couple episodes. Uh, they they kept that to a minimum mm. uh, with, with uh, the transition from Pertwee to Baker, that uh, even though... They have Tom off in the sick bay. They have a uh, Lieutenant Harry Sullivan looking after him. Uh, th there's that whole scene in Robot with not fit, not fit, and he's skipping rope and you know, chopping wood. Which blocks I again, I I can remember at the time as a kid. I thought that was absolutely mm -hmm. hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, and the costume change. He comes out as a clown. He comes out as a Viking. Yeah. I I I can remember thinking like, wow, this guy is just super funny. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to really enjoy watching this because he's he's funny. And then there's also something horrible is happening because right. um, there's an evil robot. No, the first episode, you can't. He's not a robot. There's an evil thing that you're looking through its eyes is doing evil stuff. Um, and I just remember thinking that this is going to be fantastic. I'm totally on board with this. Mm -hmm. Did uh, kids start wearing scarves or anything? How soon did that get adopted? Do you have any recollection? Uh, you know, so. The whole costuming thing, which I think is so strong nowadays, no. I mean, no one wore a scarf, no one wore a hat. Mm -hmm. We all had sonic screwdrivers. What was your sonic um, screwdriver when you were a kid? That's like a stick. It's like a stick. <laughs> Obviously. Big budget. So, you know, you just pick up a stick and like, that's ah. your sonic mm -hmm. screwdriver. But no, no, I mean, people people would never, we know, you'd never have worn anything as self-conscious as a, as, a, as, a, as a scarf. I mean, the thing about, you know, Doctor Who at the, when I was at, you know, junior school, um, prep school, um, we didn't we didn't role play the stories we pretended to be the characters and made up our own stories mm -hmm. so there wasn't a need to kind of you know dovetail exactly into what everything looked mm -hmm. like obviously nobody wanted to be sarah um, <laughs> because that's a girl right. um, but there was harry so mm -hmm. the, great great you can be you can someone can be a harry um and then people were daleks and you know brigadier and, yeah benton brigadiers, yeah brigadiers bentons mm -hmm. um you know, so, yeah. yeah, unit unit years were great for that because you, especially for little boys, you'd have a whole bunch of male characters that you'd want to emulate, and yeah, n not many would want to play Sarah or Joe or Liz. But uh, sure, I'll play a unit squatty or I'll play the brigadier. That, that's not a problem. 
Yeah. And again, you know, in some ways it was just an excuse to run around shouting. Yeah, of I course. mean, you know, we, 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 we weren't doing kind of, you know, well thought out, you know, they weren't heavily or, plotted. <laughs> they weren't heavily plotted LARPs about Doctor Who. It was basically running around shouting um, and making laser gun sounds. Yeah. And we, were either, we either made laser gun sounds or we made machine gun sounds. Mm-hmm. If you made a laser gun sound, it means you were a Dalek. If you made a machine gun sound, it may, meant that you were in unit. Um, and then in some ways, actually, the Doctor was a little bit incidental. Mm-hmm. All he had was a sonic stick. Yeah. Yeah, and we just wanted to go pew pew, yeah. or, eh, 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 you know mm-hmm. those kind of sounds. Well, it's like uh, cops and robbers growing up in the Midwest for where I was. It was all gangsters, and it oh, you did it was more of a gangsters? it was more of a holdover from like the 1930s with uh, Al Capone type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we do. So we either did Doctor Who, so you know, I said yeah, aliens and and mm-hmm. units. Or we did that. We did a lot of World War Two stuff as well. Mm. So it was, you know, British people versus Japanese people, or British people versus Germans, yep. depending on the vegetation level. <laughs> um, if we were in the woods, it was usually the Japanese we were fighting because mm-hmm. that was the jungle. And that's where the Japanese lived. Or if we were in a more kind of urban setting, such as you know the school itself, then it was Germans. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's 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 appropriate. That's very appropriate indeed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I said we we all took to Tom Baker pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no problem with that switch whatsoever, as far as I remember. I think that's a good place to leave it. I think next time we will start kind of looking at maybe series by series, doing some recollections and yeah, watching I how he goes into the role. Excellent. Yeah, because we and we we love Tom. I mean, he's you mm-hmm. know. He's, I don't know, I mean, I can only assume at this point, you know, he's turned down knighthoods and things, but if he doesn't, he should get some kind of OBE, knighthood, CBE, something. He's just... Do you think it's because he's turned it down? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's a pretty, what's the word, opinionated, not opinionated, but he's, you know, he's a man who has his own opinions. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that someone who's opinionated is someone who voices those opinions. I think I don't think Tom spends a lot of time being a bore to people. No, um, no. but I, I mean, I don't know. I've got no inside knowledge, but it wouldn't surprise me that he wouldn't do like an Alan Moore and like, okay, no, I'm not going to have this. Right. I, I would be my suspicion too. I'd like to think that he'd been considered for honors, but. I very much think that's within his character to say, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, and, and again, with someone like Tom, if you just got him on the wrong day, he'd say no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then if you asked him the following day, he'd say yes. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, I think he's that kind mm-hmm. of person. I'm so pleased that he's doing Big Finish stuff now. Yeah. yeah. Nice to have him. It's just a wonderful voice. It's such a wonderful voice. It is. It is. It is. Well, wonderful. Okay, well, that's... Um, uh, we will we will i mean there's nothing nicer than talking about tom baker yep yeah. so we're gonna be spending the next few weeks talking about tom and just doing an overview and probably nip into francis bacon and the colony room club and all sorts of stuff in the coming weeks people with charisma podcasts. <laughs> so thank you for listening to episode 159 of the metabulous tube podcast i have been chatting with Ben and I have been recollecting with David until next week goodbye